Hey, Vetfolio Voice listeners, glad you're back for another fishbowl episode. I'm telling you, my heart just feels so warm and happy when I talk about these fishbowl episodes because they were so much fun, not only to be able to talk to each other face to face, but an opportunity to connect with everybody out there listening. So I hope everybody enjoys it, and I hope you got to see some of the fishbowl episodes because I'm telling you, such a fun memory for me. Anyhow, this episode features Dr. Leilani Alvarez, who was just a joy to talk to. So much passion and compassion comes through in her rehabilitation practice. And for this episode in particular, our conversation focused on Movaflex Advanced. Now, for me personally, I'm a Movaflex user, and I've seen really good results using it. So the idea of Movaflex Advanced seemed exciting, but... I didn't completely understand what it was that made it advanced and how that was going to benefit my patients. Well, Dr. Alvarez broke down the active ingredients and how they're beneficial to our patients. And let me tell you, I'm really excited to start using it. Dr. Leilani Alvarez is the Director of Integrative and Rehabilitative Medicine at the Schwartzman Animal Medical Center in New York City. She's a board-certified diplomate of the American College of Veterinary Sports Medicine and Rehabilitation and certified in veterinary acupuncture, canine rehabilitation, and advanced Chinese herbal medicine. Dr. Alvarez graduated with high honors from the University of Georgia College of Veterinary Medicine and completed her internship and residency at the Animal Medical Center. She's been practicing rehabilitation and integrative veterinary medicine for over 15 years and leads one of the few traditional residency programs in canine sports medicine rehab. In addition to running a busy integrative and rehabilitation practice, Dr. Alvarez is a frequent lecturer at national and international conferences, teaches interns and residents, and has published peer-reviewed articles and book chapters. She's also fluent in Spanish, and her research interests include geriatric medicine, joint supplements, muscle physiology, and evidence-based medicine. All right, let's go ahead and jump in. Hello, everybody. I am joined by Dr. Alvarez for this episode. We're going to talk about Movaflex Advanced, which I am so excited to talk about. So Dr. Alvarez, welcome to the fishbowl. <laughs> thank you so much. I'm excited too. So yes. thank you for having me. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, you are a, I, I say welcome to the fishbowl, just to clarify, because we are live on, well, we're not live, but because um, we're on the floor of the expo hall at VMX in our um, glass recording booth and there's game shows in the background and all kinds of fun stuff. So it's kind of an interesting experience. Yes. Agreed. <laughs> it's very crowded yes. right outside of this little fishbowl. <laughs> well, you are a diplomat of the American College of Veterinary Sports Med and Rehab. Oh my gosh, um, you're the best for getting that all right. On the first try, like <laughs> let the record show that I said it on the first try. I'm very excited. Like, I feel like I'm starting off the morning right. Good job. <laughs> <laughs> Tell us a little bit more about that, about yourself and your background. Yeah. Absolutely. I started practicing rehab, gosh, over 15 years ago now. And when the college was formed, one of my mentors for my rehab certification reached out to me and they're like, you need to you need to pursue this residency. And sure enough, I did. And uh, I am currently working at the Schwartzman Animal Medical Center, which is the largest nonprofit veterinary hospital in the world. I found out recently. Wow. <laughs> I'm on the eighth floor in New York City. And I head up the integrative and rehabilitative medicine department. 
And what that means is I run a very busy rehab practice. We have two underwater treadmills, all the all the bells and whistles. I train residents in their residency for sports med rehab. I also have rotating interns actually required to come through rehab, which I'm thrilled about. And I do educational lectures on a regular basis at the Animal Medical Center. And then I get to do fun stuff like this lecture nationally and sometimes even internationally. <laughs> that sounds so cool. I mean, it just it sounds very picturesque, like on the eighth floor in New York City and then doing this amazing work. I, I think rehab is so cool. So yeah, you're kind of my agree. hero here. <laughs> oh, you're so sweet. <laughs> yeah, I have to say that anybody who ever asks me what I do, first of all, you tell somebody you're a veterinarian, they instantly love you versus you tell somebody you're a lawyer, it's like they walk away from they the conversation. They love you. Exactly. <laughs> but then when I tell them further what I do, like they love me even more and they just can't believe that that's really my job. I get to watch dogs walk in an underwater treadmill. I take paralyzed dogs and get them to walk again. I have old patients with severe crippling arthritis and then they're running again and playing so I I'm very very fortunate to have the job that I do it's so cool that is just I mean yes it sounds sounds amazing and thank goodness for what you do because we need all of this rehab stuff and I feel like I could sit here and just pick your brain about sportsmen rehab for the next hour but I will I will spare you all of my burning <laughs> questions about that and let's talk about supplements you know uh, supplements can be hard to navigate. There's a ton of choices out there. So when you talk to a veterinarian or a pet owner about picking a quality supplement, what kind of recommendations do you make? Oh, that's such a good question. Literally every week I get at least one client that has a bag full of supplements. They come for the initial consult and I tell them to bring everything they're giving. And there'll be like 15 different things that they're giving. It's overwhelming for pet owners, but it's overwhelming for veterinarians as well. There are so many choices out there. And frankly, I think most people, both the pet owners and the veterinarians are choosing based on marketing. And that is very unfortunate because, as you can imagine, there is a huge conflict of interest when the company is marketing. Obviously, they want you to purchase their supplement. So here are my top tips on how to pick a quality supplement. And this, this goes for an owner. It goes for a veterinarian. First and foremost, I want to make sure that the supplement is safe. Believe it or not, many, many supplements on the market have never been tested for safety. And that's very concerning for me because when we're talking about things that have herbal ingredients in there, we know they have a high level of pesticide contamination, for example, because the plants are treated with pesticides and then that's processed. When we're talking about things like fish oils, there's heavy metal contamination. And then most concerningly, there's been a couple of studies published where they just randomly selected supplements from the shelf. And Quite frighteningly, we see that there are pharmaceutical drug contamination in supplements. That's wow. right. So you really want to choose a supplement that has been tested for safety. So we know that it's safe in that species, but that they're also doing a quality assurance where somebody that is not vested in the company, so a third-party laboratory that does not is not associated with a company, is testing that supplement for the validity of the ingredients and testing for contamination. So those are really two just absolutely, I will not compromise on those. I need a safety study and I need to make sure the supplement is tested by a third-party laboratory. And what you can ask for is a COA, which is a certificate of analysis. And that is going to show you exactly what they found to be in the supplement and see if it actually matches the label. 
And then I have a few other criteria that are, are, they're just my own that I think are really important. I like to choose companies that have been in business for at least 10 years. And why is that? If you're choosing a supplement that's new on the market, that company's figuring out a lot of things. And that could mean also, for the most part, that they don't have as much financial stability as a company that has been well-established. And why is that important to me? Because if they discover that there's a problem, let's say they do have have that third-party laboratory testing and they discover there's a contaminant. Well, now they have to recall their supplement for the market and new companies often don't have the financial stability to do that. And in addition to that, I like to think that if something's been around for at least 10 years, probably it's pretty palatable and, you know, dogs are taking it and also it's still being sold. So something must be good about it. So I don't want my patients to be a guinea pig. And then the maybe even higher criteria that I use is I really try to hold supplements up to the same level of standard I would a pharmaceutical drug. Why not? Pharmaceutical drugs would not go on the market if they weren't tested for their bioavailability. What are the pharmacokinetics? How often should we give it? What dose should we be given? And is it going to work for the condition that I'm using it for? So it's not enough for me to a label to say it's a hip and joint supplement. I want that supplement to have been tested prospectively in naturally occurring disease in the species that I intend to use it for and for the condition that I intend to use it for. So that means that if I'm choosing a hip and joint supplement for a canine patient, I'm really not that interested in a rat study where they experimentally induced arthritis. And that is super common. (laughs) And it's better than not having any research, but that's really my criteria. So just to summarize again, I want a safety study so that I know that the species I'm using it in hasn't shown any adverse effects. I want to make sure that the supplement has a third-party laboratory testing assuring quality standards, both that it's not contaminated and that what's in the bottle is actually what's on the label too. I want to make sure the company has been well established, like my cutoff is 10 years. I want to make sure the supplement has been tested prospectively. If we're talking about joint supplements for dogs, I want it to be prospectively studied in dogs with naturally occurring osteoarthritis. And then actually I'll add one more in there. It needs to be palatable. Absolutely. (laughs) I don't want to struggle with all the things my patients are taking to, you know, do a supplement that they're going to spit out. Right, right. Or that's going to, you know, God forbid, damage that human-animal bond because you're having to shove this thing down their throat every day and they're either, everybody's going to get frustrated or they're just not going to get it. Absolutely. So some of this, I know, can be accomplished uh, through the National Animal Supplement Council, SEAL. Can you speak to that with regards to your criteria for choosing a supplement? Yeah. So that goes in my third-party laboratory testing criteria. The NASC label is a little yellow oval label that you'll see on supplements. Most veterinarians have seen it, but they don't know what it means. Um, So I'm so proud that you know exactly it stands for National Animal Supplement Council. And it's really the equivalent on the human side of the GMP label, which is the Good Manufacturing Practices. Ah, that one I didn't know. Uh (laughs) Uh-huh. Yep. And that is gold standard. It really puts, again, supplements up to the same level as an FDA labeling for a pharmaceutical drug. So this is very very rigorous quality assurance. It's specific for animal supplements. If you buy a product that has that NASC label, you are instantly having an assurance of quality in that supplement. 
the NASC label is not easy to acquire. The companies have to subject themselves to random facility audits. They also test the product itself. They want to make sure that there is identity, strength, and composition are all standardized. And many companies, sadly, some of the most popular veterinary supplements do not have a NASC label because it's not an easy label to acquire. You're really subjecting yourselves. You're opening up your uh, your manufacturing processes and practices for scrutiny. And if you acquire it, it really does give that consumer and that veterinarian a sense of assurance that, okay, I know that I'm getting a, a basic high quality supplement because I see this label on there. So that is absolutely something I look for. And you'd be amazed for the thousands and thousands of supplements that are out there. Only about, I just looked last night, actually, it's like about 140 companies actually have the NASC label. Wow. So majority do not have it. Yeah. Difficult to obtain, like you yes. said. And, and mm-hmm. a lot of transparency involved there. Yes, definitely. Well, you brought up hip and joint supplements. And so let's dive into those a little bit more. A lot of times when we talk about hip and joint supplements, we talk about glucosamine chondroitin. So can you talk about glucosamine chondroitin and do you do you recommend that to pet owners? Is that part of your rehab plan? I do not recommend glucosamine chondroitin and I'll tell you why. We have had now two systematic reviews in veterinary medicine specifically looking at the efficacy of joint supplements in treating canine osteoarthritis. The first one was published in 2012 in the Journal of Veterinary Internal Medicine, and we just had a new one published in 2022. And both of them conclude, so the the 2012 study by Vanderweer demonstrated that the overall evidence for glucosamine and chondroitin is poor. And the latest systematic review that was just published in 2022 literally says in the summary that based on the evidence we have on glucosamine chondroitin, we no longer recommend using glucosamine and chondroitin for the treatment of canine and feline osteoarthritis. I mean, that is just a basic conclusion of both studies. And what that tells you is when you do a systematic review, and the latest one in 22 was also a meta-analysis, so they really put it through a rigorous process. It involved 72 clinical trials. Wow. So when you're looking at that level of evidence, you're not just looking at a single study, and many companies will quote a single study, but a systematic review and particularly a meta-analysis, which puts the data through a statistical analysis... Now you're looking at all the data. They're not excluding any of the papers. They're including everything together. So those conclusions are a much higher level of evidence than any one individual study would be. Now, why is glucosamine chondroitin the most common ingredient in joint supplements? It's because it was one of the first to be studied. And in a Petri dish, it turns out, glucosamine chondroitin is fantastic. You can actually rebuild cartilage in a Petri dish. The problem is, and this is why I get back to these studies need to be on live animals with a naturally occurring disease, a Petri dish is not a canine body. And when you give glucosamine chondroitin to a dog, the bioavailability is relatively low. I have always wondered that. I'm like, how are they getting absorbed and then assimilated back into cartilage? Yeah, it doesn't make it to the joint for the most part. Glucosamine chondroitin bioavailability in dogs is 12% and chondroitin only about 5%. So most of what you're giving by mouth is getting pooped out. Right. And not making it to the joint. Interesting. (laughs) Um, So that's, that is probably the major reason why we have not seen great results with glucosamine country. So I do not recommend it. And if you follow the authorities and the latest, highest level of evidence published, they also do not recommend it. 
Wow. So we really need to rethink some of our supplement choices here. Agreed. And what we're gonna <laughs> what we're gonna give these critters because we still want to support these joints. I wonder, do, do you know? Does that extend to humans as well with yes. glucosamine chondroitin? Yes. Interesting. Interesting. Gosh, I'm learning so much already. <laughs> So if we're not focusing on glucosamine chondroitin, what active ingredients do you look for that you do feel like are beneficial in these patients? So again, I am going to be very evidence-based. I want to choose supplements that have high level of evidence with all that criteria I talked about. I want it to be prospective on live animals suffering from the disease that I am treating. There's a few very exciting novel ingredients that we see in supplements like Movoflex. We're going to be talking about it today. And if it's okay, I'll just talk about the individual ingredients because sure. each one of them is so fantastic and the data is solid. Eggshell membrane is a relatively, I would, I would consider it a novel ingredient. It comes, you know, when you crack open an egg and there's that little thin membrane on yeah. the inside of it and it's just kind of like, maybe it's a little gross, I don't know. Well, it turns out that that membrane is very, very therapeutic. It is naturally rich in proteins, about 88% protein. And then it has a specific amino acids in there Isodesmazine and desmosine are natural sources of both elastin and collagen. And why that's really exciting is when I think about joint disease, most people think about the cartilage, but actually from a rehab perspective, when you're trying to get a patient with OA to recover and to regain their functional mobility, it's actually more about the periarticular structures. So we're talking about the subchondral bone, we're talking about the ligaments, we're talking about the tendons, even the muscles. And guess what? That's where we really need that elastin and collagen. So I love eggshell membrane, not just because we have three prospective studies in dogs with natural occurring OA showing efficacy, even one study that went head to head with meloxicam. Mm-hmm. So we have Went really head nice to head with meloxicam, yeah, we like have, a pharmaceutical. Yeah, Medicam and NSAID. So we have the prospective data to back it up that it is efficacious. And then importantly for me as a rehab practitioner, I know that it's giving me more than just pain relief for the joint, which is really what those studies have shown, but it's actually supporting those periarticular structures. Another ingredient that is maybe not quite as novel anymore, but maybe a, many veterinarians might not know about it is Boswellia serrata. We do see it in human supplements as well. This is an herbal ingredient that has been used literally for centuries. And it grows from a tree that's naturally um, endemic to North Africa and the Middle East. It's also called Indian frankincense. You may have heard about Indian frankincense. Yeah. It is naturally uh, has a very strong anti-inflammatory properties. We actually know it blocks five lipooxygenase. Wow. So remember our inflammatory cascade. So we actually know Somewhere the mechanism back there of that. <laughs> I do. And that does sound familiar. But that's very cool when we have a natural supplement with virtually no known side effects that has an anti-inflammatory effect. And again, we have nice data to back that ingredient up. Probably the ingredient that I love the most in Movoflex is astaxanthin. Astaxanthin is a naturally occurring antioxidant. It comes from red marine algae. We have several studies, prospective studies in dogs showing benefit, not just for OA. We have studies that actually show improved exercise performance. We have studies that show it improves immunity in dogs. So particularly useful for our senior dogs that are suffering from OA or dogs that have other comorbidities, like maybe they have cancer or they have some other illness where we know there's an oxidative stress. 
Astaxanthin happens to be probably one of the most powerful antioxidants. It is a very potent antioxidant. And I think, even though we don't have a study showing this, I think one of the biggest clinical benefits that I see with patients that I start on Mobiflex is their energy level. Within a week to maximum two weeks, the owners are telling me their dogs are playing again. They're full of energy. It, it's really this boost in energy level. And I have to think that astaxanthin has something to do with that. Because when your antioxidant levels are higher, you, you feel great. Right. Yeah. And then the other couple of ingredients that are pretty exciting is hyaluronic acid. When I first saw HA and the ingredients, I was like, what? I always thought you have to give HA injectably because bioavailability is typically very low. Well, if you look into, and any company that's putting HA in an oral supplement, you want to verify, well, what is the bioavailability? Did they study it? Do we have data showing that their particular formulation is actually bioavailable? And Verbeck did just that. Now, the high molecular weight HA, which is what most veterinarians are looking for, we know provides the shock absorption and the elasticity. So, you know, when you jump and you, you know, your joint just gives you that, that nice cushiony landing. No, I don't know what that you feels don't like know actually. Because <laughs> I really try to, not to jump very you need much. You to take some HA. <laughs> I do. Um, but that's what gives you the shock absorption. It's that viscoelasticity. When, when you do a joint tap and you get that, that stringy, sure. right? That's the HA in there that gives you that stringiness. It's the shock absorption. And that's high molecular weight HA. Very, very novel is that we've discovered low molecular weight HA can have some very lovely therapeutic benefits because low molecular weight HA has nothing to do with that shock absorption. It actually is involved in immune repair. So it improves the immunity of the joint. Huh. And also it helps to repair when a joint has been damaged. It helps with the reparative properties. So really especially important for our athletes and any joints that have had joint, any patients that have had joint trauma, that low molecular weight HA is going to help with the reparative process. And then finally, vitamin D3, which is, I think, gained a lot of attention on the human side, is also an ingredient and can help support, for example, subchondral bone, which we know is very significantly affected in OA and often forgotten as, as one of the structures that's involved in the progression of osteoarthritis. It sounds really exciting. And gosh, I mean, of course, I'm listening from my patient's perspective, but also as you heard my own perspective, I'm like, hmm, there's, there's a lot to be said here to really keep our joints moving and for everybody involved yeah. here. And I just want to add to going back to my criteria on evidence-based. When I was just reviewing these ingredients, we have lots of individual studies that demonstrated efficacy for each one of these ingredients. But to me, that's not enough because when you combine ingredients together. There can be a synergism or they can have an antagonistic effect. Okay. And Movoflex has been studied prospectively out of NC State University with live dogs suffering from naturally occurring osteoarthritis. And it was found to actually decrease the inflammatory biomarkers in the joints and also on owner questionnaires, improve their mobility. So we know the individual ingredients work. We know the whole supplement is effective. And that's rare. Very, very few supplements that have multiple ingredients have been studied as a whole supplement. I feel like that makes a lot of sense based on my own clinical experience. I started using Mobiflex for my own pets when it first came out. I think I got a sample. I had an old arthritic Rottweiler. 
And I had that experience you're describing where I, I saw the energy come back. I saw him move and I went, what? What is happening here? And, <laughs> and it really did make a clinical difference and, and made me a believer. Yeah. Awesome. Well, so I have a feeling I know the answer to this next question, which is what hip and joint supplements do you reach for first? But further than that, at what stage of your treatment program do you implement these supplements? Great questions. Those systematic reviews that I was speaking about before, the supplements that have the highest level of evidence are therapeutic diets enriched with omega-3 fatty acids. And I want to make that distinction because it's not separate oral supplements, which is, I think, what a lot of people do. You really want to reach for that prescription diet that has the omega-3 in it because for osteoarthritis, we need very, very high levels of EPA in particular, but also DHA in order to have that anti-inflammatory quality in the joint. And if you give that level of dosage, we're talking upwards of 300 mg per kg, you're guaranteed to cause diarrhea in your right. patient. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Versus you feed it in a therapeutic diet. These companies are providing a complete and balanced diet. And it's usually that addition of the fiber that is going to help the GI tract tolerate the high levels of fat that we find in omega-3 fatty acids that is then tolerable. So to answer your questions, what do I reach for? I reach for a joint prescription diet that is fortified in omega-3 fatty acids. And then I'll be very honest, I reached for Movoflex. It was not the supplement I used to use, but as I learned more about the research, and same as you, I first became introduced from samples right. that I was using. And it was amazing the difference that I saw in my patients that switched from the previous supplement I was using to then switching them to the Movoflex. But those are my two go-to ones, omega-3 fatty acids, ideally in a therapeutic diet, and then Movoflex. Now, let's just talk briefly, because I get this question a lot from veterinarians. What if the dog has IBD or they have atopic dermatitis or a food allergy and they cannot take that kibble or for whatever reason they can't eat that diet. In that case, I actually reach for green lip muscle. It doesn't okay. have nearly as high as the level of evidence of the omega-3s, but I can reach therapeutic levels at lower doses than I can with the omega-3. You can still use the omega-3, but you really want to get them up to that 300 mg per kg and you want to titrate that. So start at a lower level and then every week slowly increase it to tolerance. When the dog starts to get diarrhea, you got to back up and, and you just go as high as you can. I find dogs will tolerate usually about up to 150 mg per kg. So you are below that therapeutic level, but I have seen benefit at those levels. So it's, it's better than nothing, I would say. Sure. Is, is there any benefit? Do you feel like in those cases, have you ever tried supplementing fiber and to help with the diarrhea? Yes, but the, sadly, because we're not nutritionists, I don't know what the right amount is. Sure. That's fair. <laughs> and you end up getting these really big voluminous stools and you, you get, you, you know, it's like the dog's like, I feel great. Yeah. <laughs> the owner's like, oh my gosh. Yeah. In, in those cases, the owners are, you know, really committed to it and the stool's all over the place. I, yeah. I, I refer them to a, a board certified nutritionist. <laughs> that makes sense. Makes a lot of sense. So we talked a little bit about when to implement this in the program. And I would imagine that you're probably seeing dogs who are already injured and already needing these, this type of supplementation. But you know, we, we know that osteoarthritis is not the old dog disease we once thought it was, that it happens in all ages. So can you talk about that a little bit and what we should be looking for in younger dogs and maybe things that we can do to help these pets? Yeah, absolutely. 
we we used to say that approximately 20% of dogs greater than one year of age suffer from osteoarthritis. We know we now know that number is much higher. Uh, we're looking at closer to 40% of dogs. And osteoarthritis begins the moment there is joint injury. And think about like your eight-month-old Rottweiler that tore its cruciate. That's the start of their arthritis. Right. I think why people associate osteoarthritis as a senior dog disease is because that's when the clinical symptoms are apparent. That's when you see your dog struggling to get up. That's when you see the dog refusing to go upstairs, refusing to jump into the car. They're actually lame. They're they're holding up their leg. You're not going to see that in an eight-month-old puppy. That doesn't mean they don't have OA. OA is a degenerative disease. And what that means is it progresses slowly and it will continue to progress no matter what we do. So sadly, even though we have these wonderful options in both pharmaceutical drugs and supplements, nothing is actually going to completely stop the progression of OA. Our best chance is to delay the progression and also to use a multimodal approach to dampen the clinical symptoms, in particular pain, right? We want to address pain, inflammation, and then we can delay the progression of the osteoarthritis. But absolutely, you should not think of OA as an old dog disease. Yes, that is when the clinical symptoms will be the most apparent. But if you address and treat OA, as soon as you know the dog is either at a high risk factor or they have had a joint injury, that is absolutely when you should begin a joint supplement and you will have a much bigger impact on delaying the progression of their OA and very likely improving their quality of life and and likely also their longevity. So let's talk about what dogs should we be starting joint supplements in at an early age? Thinking the eight-month-old Rottweiler, at, whether he tore his cruciate or not. Agreed, because all <laughs> Rotties tear their cruciate. Yes. <laughs> Probably should include Newfoundlands in there as well. Any dog that we know has hip dysplasia, elbow dysplasia, any type of orthopedic surgery, whether it was planned or not. So think about the dogs that have an angular limb deformity and they go to the orthopedic surgeon. And the reason for that is now we have incongruity in the joint and that is going to create inflammation. So that I I almost put into the same category as joint trauma. And we know they're going to develop osteoarthritis. I do get the question a lot about, well, what about our athletes? What about that dog that's in agility? I personally, if it's a breed that is not having any conformational disorder, they don't have any incongruity, they're not at high risk for an injury like the Rottweiler or the Newfie would be, I am personally not a big advocate of starting a supplement just because. I will say it's not going to cause any harm, and many owners or handlers of athletes really want to be as proactive as possible. And you can absolutely do that. I just don't have data to tell you that it actually will be preventative because if that dog has an injury in their joint, they will still develop OA. Sure. Now, might they develop it less because they were on the joint supplement beforehand? Maybe, maybe. I just don't know. I don't have the evidence to prove that. But definitely, if we have a high risk factor joint incongruity, any type of joint trauma, you should absolutely be starting that joint supplement no matter how old the dog is. Well, that's good to know because that was kind of what I did with my own lab. I saw his confirmation from the time he was a puppy and I went, oh, buddy, like we're just going to be be proactive here. And sure enough, like he started 
limping on a back leg at two years old. And I went, yeah. So, so yeah, who knows if the having him on things preventatively helped. But now he's on them therapeutically. And actually, along those lines, I want to talk about myofascial injuries because I think back to our first conversation where I said, I don't know, he's got this this hump in his back, the way that he's walking. And, and it was so funny because you were like, yes, spinal dorsoflexion. I was like, there's the doctor word for it. <laughs> I knew there was one. Um, but, but one of the things we talked about is these myofascial injuries and not using OA as this catch-all for any dog that yeah. is lame and struggling. So can you talk about those a little bit? Yeah, that's music to my ears because as a rehab specialist, that is perhaps the one thing that defines us is that we pay a lot of attention to the soft tissue structures. And just to put things into context, we know that humans, the number one cause of chronic pain is myofascial in origin. So it's not your joints. It's not your bones. It's actually all the soft tissues. Like just think about if you've had a stressful day and how much your neck and your shoulders are sore. Yeah. (laughs) Or even if you've ever had an injury, it's all the soft tissues that swell and become uncomfortable. The body always wants to return to function. And it's those soft tissue structures that compensate in order to return you to function. So think about a dog that tears their cruciate ligament, they're going to be engaging their gastroc, their quadriceps, their hamstrings, their hip flexors to keep the leg off of the ground. And that is actually where they're experiencing pain. You might be giving them an NSAID to deal with the joint pain itself, but you really need to pay attention to all of the other soft tissue structures that are compensating, including the back. (laughs) So what your dog was doing is it was dorsiflexing its spine as a means of getting that leg off of the ground because when you flex your spine, it elevates the limb off the ground. And I could go on and on about the multitude of compensation strategies that dogs use when something is hurting. And you're going to have a lot better efficacy in returning your dog to function and also treating their discomfort by addressing those compensatory changes in their soft tissues, which brings me back to why when I'm choosing joint supplements, I want something that's going to address the periarticular structure. So go beyond the joint. Don't just think about the joint itself because the body is certainly not thinking that way. The body moves and functions as a whole, and we should be looking at how we treat our patients similarly. So you want to be doing massage, trigger point release. So trigger points are knots in the muscle, and we know they are causing functional disorder in the muscle. It actually can't contract properly. And it can really have like years and years of malfunction if you don't address those trigger points. So I recommend regular massage, stretching. You might want to see a rehab practitioner if if there's a severe injury. Otherwise, I actually will teach owners how to do these things at home. And you'd be amazed that the improvement in their outcome when you address those soft tissue compensatory um, problems that they're experiencing. That's so cool. I feel like I could just dive into that for for such a long time because sometimes we're doing everything we can and just not seeing the improvement that we want to. And in those cases, probably implementing more of the soft tissue therapy would make a big difference. Yeah, agreed. Well... We both talked about we've used Mobiflex for a long time and and have seen great results with it. But now there's Mobiflex Advanced. So we're getting, you know, even more out of this supplement. Can you tell us more about Mobiflex Advanced? Yeah, I was a little bit worried when Mobiflex Advanced came out because I already loved Mobiflex. (laughs) But rest assured, Mobiflex Advanced is exactly the same product as a Mobiflex with 
two key ingredients that are different, and that is the low molecular weight HA, which we already spoke about earlier, and then there's krill oil in there. So the basic ingredients are the same, and that's our eggshell membrane, the Boswellia serrata, the high molecular weight HA, the astaxanthin, which is perhaps my favorite ingredient, the vitamin D3. And then in addition to that, we have the low molecular weight HA and the krill oil. Now, the krill oil, you'd think, oh, that's like great for omega-3 fatty acids. And yes, it does have omega-3 fatty acids, but it is not at the therapeutic levels that we would want to get that anti-inflammatory effect in the joint. The purpose of the krill oil in Moviflex Advance is actually to enhance my favorite ingredient, astaxanthin. And that's pretty amazing because astaxanthin has such a powerful antioxidant effect. And now to have a product that has an even higher bioavailability of this naturally occurring antioxidant is amazing. And I think likely the reason why we're having owners report an even further improvement when they switch from regular Mobiflex to Mobiflex Advance, it's probably because this boost in the astaxanthin power and perhaps also the low molecular weight HA, which is the other thing, krill oil increases the bioavailability of that low molecular weight HA, and that is going to help with the joint repair and the immunity in the joint. So both of these are really enhanced ingredients in the advanced, but the core ingredients are all the same. And I just have to offer from a from an anecdotal personal experience that, again, as I said, I was a little bit reluctant because I already loved Mobiflex, um, but I was lucky enough to get some samples. And I, I am not joking. I had clients who who were on the regular Mobiflex doing really well. And then I said, hey, do you want a free bottle of Mobiflex Advanced? And they reported to me further improvement, Wow, which is really exciting. And Verbeck actually did a questionnaire out to all of the, the practices that were initially using it. And they saw 63% of the pet owners that switched from Mobiflex to Mobiflex Advanced reported further improvement. So that's pretty exciting. That is yeah, really And it's even exciting. more palatable. So if you ever have a dog that's a picky eater, and I actually have this for my kidney failure patients. I love Mobiflex Advance for those patients. You, I just ask the owners to, to break it up into pieces and mix it in their food and then the, devour the food. Wow. <laughs> so it really is a palatability enhancer. So if you have a dog that's not eating well, the Mobiflex Advance is so, so tasty that you can add it to the food to, to, to get picky eaters to eat their food. Two birds there. Yeah. Just, yeah, <laughs> taking care of the appetite issue and making sure they get their joint supplement on board. But you know what? I, I'm going to say this too. Be careful where you store it because I have had patients that they smell where that mobile flex is and oh, no. they break into it because it's so delicious. <laughs> that is palatable. <laughs> um, well, Dr. Alvarez, this has been great. I feel like I could just sit here and keep asking you questions because you're full of such great information. And I love the way that you bring it across. It's really practical and it's really usable. So thank you so much for joining me to make this episode. This was such a pleasure. Thank you so much. All right, another fishbowl episode in the books. Dr. Alvarez, it was such a pleasure to talk to you and thank you to everyone out there listening. For more episodes like this, click on the education tab on the Vetfolio website. As always, we'd love to hear your insight on this talk as well as ideas for topics you'd like to hear from us in the future. Feel free to reach out to me at dvm at vetfolio.com. You can also visit my Facebook page at Dr. Cassie DVM, and you can find me on LinkedIn. And remember, if one animal is better off because of you today, it's a great day.